Blog Talk Radio. Did you know that elders and others are losing their rights to liberty and property? Anyone can petition a court to have a person deemed incapacitated. What if that person is you? The adult guardianship system was created to protect incompetent people and their assets. A court-appointed guardian, sometimes a total stranger, can force you into a nursing home and sell your home to pay for services. Treasured belongings can disappear as you are drugged and isolated from loved ones. Why does this happen? Unfortunately, the courts don't have the funding to supervise and audit cases. A guardian makes all decisions decisions on your behalf, taking control of your assets with little accountability. The potential for abuse is frightening. Luckily, not all guardians exploit those under their care, but when they do, there's really nowhere to go for help. The National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, NASGA, is working to reform adult guardianship to return it to its once noble purpose of protecting the human rights to life, liberty, and property and ending financial exploitation of assets. Are you or your loved ones protected? To learn more, visit StopGuardianAbuse.org. This is Marty Oakley, the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the DS Radio Network. Good evening, everyone. I still choke up listening to her voice. For those who do not know, Marty Oakley did pass away on April 1st of this year, and we are carrying on her mission with myself, Marcia Southwick, or Marcia Joyner, and Marcel Reed. We're all picked up some shows. Look, it took more than three of us, because there's Reverend Ralph here helping me too, it took a lot of people to fill Marty's shoes, and we were so honored to fill it. Just real quick, this is going to be a great show. I feel like we're going back to back in the day when I first got to experience guardianship abuse with our Uncle Harvey Witten. We have as our guest tonight, we of course have Reverend Ralph here, but we also have Dr. Mary Witten. Dr. Mary Witten is a very, very special person to me because she's also my sister. So she's actually a rocket scientist that worked for NASA. So we have someone like really extra smart that has really looked at the topics that we're going to be discussing, and we're going to really dive into this big lawsuit that's going on in Montgomery County. But while we're talking about Montgomery County, Reverend Ralph is always updating us what's going on in Montgomery County, and Reverend, the thought for the day, take it away. Good evening, everyone, nationwide and worldwide. Uh, Some updates i like to bring to your attention. Uh, Several weeks ago, I had told you that I had met the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, the new one, Michelle Henry, and also the District Attorney of Bucks County, uh, Matt Weintraub, and they were there at a college to talk about drug addiction and the programs they had pertaining to it. So after the conference was over, I went up to each one of them, and I gave my business card to Mr. Weintraub, and I told him about guardianship corruption and uh, the abuse of it in nursing homes, and he has several attorneys that deal with that, with uh, financial exploitation of elderly, and I had asked him to have his assistant call me to set up a meeting with some of those lawyers. Well, she called me back the next day and said she was going to work on it. Well, it's been about two and a half weeks. I've left four messages for her, and I have not heard back from her. Now, I'm going to give her a little bit more time, uh, but I think something like this should not be overlooked by a district attorney because of the financial abuse that's involved with it. Uh, As far as the attorney general, Michelle Henry, 
Uh, I talked to her assistant uh, about two weeks ago. She said she would uh, try to set up something, a meeting maybe, with the attorney general. And she said that it would take about a month and a half in order to get that done. So uh, I'm going to let her have that time in order to uh, try to put something together. Now, one of the things uh, that I've heard from many people, and again, I have been involved with uh, guardianship corruption, including or involving a very special loved person of mine for about two years now, and there doesn't seem to be any type of laws that dictate how a guardian uh, and guardianship should be working or basic uh, how it should be, uh, how the people should be treated, the ones under guardianship. And in the Montgomery County website, the official Montgomery County website, uh, I have found a, under the section of guardianship, basically three sentences that I think sum it up. And I've read it before, but I want to read it again to the new listeners. It says, the role of either guardian is to represent the rights and best interests of the incapacitated person. The guardian should honor the expressed wishes and preferences of the incapacitated person to the greatest extent possible. The guardian must always act in the best interests of the incapacitated person, unquote. And I have posted that on my website at the home page. And I feel this is very important for the families that are fighting for their loved person, spending a great deal of money on their attorneys, while the guardian is wasting the money of the victim to uh, pay for his attorney, which uh, just doesn't seem to be just fair to the family and to the victim. And I think something like that, what I've just read, is a great uh, buffer between what is right and what is wrong with the way the guardian is being, uh, is the way the guardian is treating the incapacitated person. And something that should be, uh, anytime you confront the guardian, ask the question, how is the person better off now, medically, mentally, physically, financially, and happiness, how is the incapacitated person better off now than before the guardian or guardians took control of the person. And if they can't say they've been at least the same as the person was living before, then they are not doing their job. And usually, as we all know, these guardians are only in it for the money. And this is something where you put it to their face, they either can say the uh, situation is better because the person was maybe having some problems living at home, or if it's not better or the same, then they have failed at their job. And I think that's something very important to keep in mind. Uh, one of the things that, uh, another thing that I have seen is a person should read the laws pertaining to uh, how a incapacitated person must be treated if they are there. And this is something uh, that is very important to, uh, in order to protect the people, your loved persons. And every state, uh, I feel, and I've mentioned this before, should have their own association because uh, rules vary from uh, state to state involving the courts and procedures. And this is why I have included a lot of those Pennsylvania uh, rules and regulations and websites in order to help people in Pennsylvania. But again, every 
state should have its own association for uh, pertaining to uh, guardians and guardianship because other people could add to those websites, and that would help other people get a little bit more educated in order to uh, help them and help their loved person. Uh, now, one of the things also that I have to deal with is evaluations uh, to determine a person that is, uh, that is going to be labeled incapacitated. And it varies from state to state. In Pennsylvania, there are no uh, standards or requirements as to what constitutes an evaluation. And this is so important for people to start with. What was used to determine that person to be labeled incapacitated? And it's usually just a couple of paper and pencil tests or some psychologist just sitting with the person for an hour or so and coming to the conclusion that the person is incapacitated. But the problem is, is that it's only an opinion. And the fact that the family knows far more about the abilities of that person than any psychologist, no matter if he has a title of PhD or whatever, because it's the family that knows that person best. And if the family is not the one that makes the major decision, then basically the victim as is being uh, cheated out of what is going to be probably the rest of his life, how it's going to be determined. And the evaluation, uh, as I have found, basically has nothing to do with common sense or knowing right from wrong. And that is very important because if the person is going to be living at home or maybe not living at home, the least restrictive uh, way that that person has to be living is the best way, giving that person as much freedom as they can have in order to make the person feel comfortable. And if the person is not evaluated for that as far as knowing right from wrong and having common sense, then that person might injure themselves if they are left alone. So it's important to for the family to be most involved in uh, di basically dictating to the guardian how that person should be taken care of. Uh, the, there are degrees of incapacitation, and this is something else I have found that's lacking with these psychologists. Just to put a label on somebody that they're incapacitated basically doesn't tell you anything. But when it comes to guardianship corruption, basically what they want, the corrupt judge, the corrupt lawyers, the corrupt guardians that are all working together, all they're concerned with is having that person labeled incapacitated. Then it's off to the races where they can start looting the bank accounts and other uh, financial assets of the person, including the house, which, again, as we know, these corrupt guardians, they sell the house cheap to a friend, and then they resell it at full value. So it's important to know also about the psychologist. When he says he's a Ph.D., check with the state. Make sure it's a real Ph.D. And if, uh, find out if they belong to the state's association, a psychological association, or to the American Psychological Association. If they're not members, why? Ask them why is that person not a member. Maybe they were and they were thrown out of the association for some of the illegal activities that they've done. So 
those steps to start with are very important because if you don't start from the very beginning of knowing who that psychologist is and what he's being what he is using to determine incapacitation then you've got serious problems and one of the things i have found that is lacking is the psychologists never audio or video record the evaluations and that's very serious because what they're saying is take my word for it the psychologists are basically saying Take my word for it, the person said or did not say something in a certain way. And that you just don't have in a court of law. Whether it's civil court or criminal court, you just don't have people coming in saying, take my word for it, I saw something or somebody did something. You have to have evidence. And if they're not Mm -hmm. video or audio recording, which can be done very easily with a cell phone now, then you have no proof that this person ever got an evaluation, and these psychologists are charging thousands of dollars. And the reports they make up, they can't even prove that the reports pertain to that person. So this is why this guardianship corruption is basically built on fraud, fraud based on things that are never proven, cannot be proven, but the goal is to get the money and only get the money. So this is why uh, I wanted to see people, they have to ask questions. You have to dig and you have to do everything you can to protect your loved one from basically being ruined for the rest of their lives and having their resources depleted to where they may need that money later on. And let's face it, when that victim dies, that money through inheritance will not be coming to you whether your sons or daughters or nephews or whatever, which is what that person would want normally if they were not, uh, if they did not have a guardian. So you have a stake in this, not just your love for that person, but also financially the fact that you're entitled to that money if that's what they have in their will. But if those uh, lawyers and the psychologists and the judges are wasting that money on themselves, you're never going to see it. And this is why financial exploitation of these people, of the elderly, is so, so prevalent that it's only about the money, and that's the only reason why these people do it. They don't care about the victim's feelings or how they're living. So I just wanted to leave a few things like that for the people, and Kaz, I thank you for that time. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Reverend Ralph. So basically, myself and... I love calling her Dr. Witten, my super smart sister. Um, We decided that we were going to read the article so that everyone knew what was going on. It's not super, super long, but I feel if we just start talking about the article and there's people out there who haven't heard the article, I'm worried we're going to lose you. So bear with me. This article made my day. I was so happy. It warmed my heart. It made my day. This was published in the Philadelphia Inquirer. We've had other reporters from the Philadelphia Inquirer interview us many, many times, many, many victims, haven't we, Reverend Ralph? And no articles have. have been written. Yes, all of us. And no articles have been written. And this one got through. This is like the Christmas miracle. So let me let me go on. Let me uh, start reading it. This is the Philadelphia Inquirer. The investigative journalist who wrote this 
heartwarming, wonderful, awesome article and got it out there. Her name is, I hope I'm going to say her last name right, Angela Columbus. And she must live up in that area in Pennsylvania because it looks like she is writing for the Philadelphia Inquirer. We are so excited, and we hope that she will write more articles about this. I bet you she's going to be following this case. So without ado, I'm going to do my best to read you this article, okay? Not long after Christmas 2010, 84-year-old Penny Rafa abruptly found herself facing the daunting prospect of losing the ability to make even the most basic decisions about her life. The Montgomery County Nursing Home, where Rafa had been living for a mere five months, had launched a court proceeding to declare her incapacitated. Around the same time, the nursing home also surprised her with a debt collection lawsuit. I'm going to interject. Dr. Witten, what is the nursing home's name? done some uh, research. Could you give the name of that nursing home, please? Um, oh, shoot. I wish I would have known you could ask right away. Oh, Manor Care. Wasn't it Manor Care? Oh, yeah, it was Manor. I've, I've been looking at her other, the other, because, well, yeah, it's Manor Care. You're right. Okay. So the, the, the nursing home is Manor Care, and we'll keep reading. So... There we have it. Rafa was appointed a legal guardian that day. Oh, and what is the judge? Let's name the judge who's doing all this because we did a little extra research. So we're going to add to the article as we read it. Okay, who can guess? Who's the judge? Who it can was guess? Judge who's Lois the corrupt Murphy. judge? <gasps> judge Lois Murphy did this. Okay. Ding, ding, I will ding, 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 ding. Yeah, I will continue <laughs> reading. Rafa was appointed a legal guardian that day. A person recommended by the lawyer for the same nursing home suing her for unpaid debts. That guardian then hired a different attorney, one yet again suggested by the nursing home to represent the older woman in the debt collection um, action. But that lawyer purposely did no work on her behalf, according to a long-running lawsuit that recently landed before one of Pennsylvania's highest courts, and Rafa lost the case. Then, to pay off the debt, she was forced to sell her home. Oh, my gosh, Reverend Ralph, you just talked about that, didn't you? Okay. Can, All right. can we talk more about her home and just right now since we're on the topic? Yes, yes. Tell so us. we did a little extra research about her home, and um, so – she was deemed incapacitated on May 31st, 2011. And just a week later, on June 8th, um, her – did we already go over who her court-appointed guardian was? I don't think we did. No, because it's not mentioned, but we know who it is. We did a little research. Oh, yeah. Who, who wants to take a guess of who it is? Because they work with Dietrich a lot on, at other nursing homes. We're, Who's going to guess? We're going back into the rebel pundit days. I don't know. Uh-huh. Oh, do you want me to it's, guess? I already know yeah, the answer. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, but guess. It, it's none other than Erin McDevitt. Ding, ding, the ding, very ding, ding, ding. The very first article that was Michael Volpe wrote for Rebel Pundit, there was a three-part series. So Reverend Ralph doesn't know about all this. These are the days of Rebel Pundit. And we were called the girls of Rebel Pundit. It was myself and my sister it was tasha lee and austin gibson which i just talked to austin gibson on the phone today anyway so we were they michael volpe did three different articles and the first the first article that came out was uh tasha lee and 
The court-appointed guardian was Diane Zabowski, and the or, um, the, um, attorney guardian was Diane Zabowski. This was all Judge Ott's doing. We had Diane Zabowski, and we had Aaron McDevitt as the guardian, and Michael Volpe wrote an incredible article about that. Then part two, that was our that was our um, Harvey Witten. So myself and my sister got to be part of that article. Once again, we had Judge Ott, we had Diane Zabowski, and this time we had Deb Clock as the guardian. Then there was part three, the Rebel Pundit article. Uh, once again, it was Judge Stanley Ott, it was Diane Zabowski, and it was Doshi Kapana that um, was the guardian in that story. Um, and excuse me, Cosmos. Um, oh. I saw someone refer to Doshi as Doshi Bag, which makes me think it's pronounced <laughs> Doshi, because wouldn't you call someone a Doshi Bag, not a Doshi Bag? Oh, Doshi. Douchey. Okay. Uh, it might be douchey just because I saw that in writing, but go on. Okay. So anyway, now we all know that Deb Clack and Douchey are still being appointed guardians to this day. But I, how about I'll finish the reading the article and we'll go back to where did Erin McDevitt go and what happened with her. Because as we're going to read, we're going to see that she's not named in this lawsuit. So let me go back because we're about to um, announce who the attorneys are. Okay. Oh, wait, no, we're, okay, so we're going to continue talking about the house. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because we How know about more the about the house. So okay. she was deemed incapacitated on May 31st, 2011. And on June 8th, uh, 2011, McDevitt charged $300 to Raffi's, um estate to visit the property. And then on June 14th, she charged another $440 to Raffi's estate to meet with Feliciani at the property, along with a locksmith. Now, I believe that mm. the granddaughter might have been living in the house, and um, so I guess they were locking the granddaughter out, I'm guessing. This is mm, the that's, know, hypothetical. I'm sure what grandma would want to do. Wow. Right, right, exactly. So then, um, then on June 20th, 2011, McDevitt charges uh, Rafa $50 to drive round-trip to Rafa's property three times. Why is she going back and forth to the property three times? Is she taking valuables out of it and putting it in her car and bringing it mm. somewhere? Like, what? why are you going there three mm. times in one day? They and, always um, seem to leave stuff out of the Guardian in the inventory, don't they? Oh, they do, and we're going to talk about that also. And then awesome. on uh, June 25, 2011, uh, McDevitt charges uh, Rafa's estate $42 for multiple round trips to the property. So she's going there again multiple times. And then on June 25th, she charges Rafa $320 to meet a locksmith at the property. But she already did before. She met a locksmith she's at the property one. on June 14th. So why is a locksmith, oh. a locksmith going there twice? It's many it's questions. Suspicious. Then on yes, July um, Many twenty-third, she spent over an hour at the property and charged uh, Rafa's estate one hundred and seventy dollars. And I'm not mentioning all the trips to the property. I'm just you know picking some out. And I'm and I also you know there's a bunch of trips to the bank too. She did a lot of trips to the bank. Oh, now I got to ask: Did Erin McDevitt charge Rafa's estate to write the check to herself? Oh, I, I did not see that, but we have seen that on on some other um, <laughs> accounts. Or I think it was on Shenanigans that did say something about that. Yes, yes, that was that was called out. She is the she is the guardian who writes herself checks or charges for writing herself a check. 
I still remember um, that would be if maybe Mr. Shikananigans can reshare that one. Um, but, uh, you know that what? One, if my memory's right, I think she actually commented underneath that, um, she did. that post. And but I think she uh-huh. said she it meant something else, and she wasn't really charging to write a check. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, but we saw yeah, that. Yeah, we saw the court document that said she charged to write herself a check. It sure did so, look like that. So now yes, let's go back did. to oh, so so she's going back and forth to um, you know back and forth to the property several times in a day. You know who knows if she's just collecting valuables, but when you're the guardian, you have to submit an inventory to the court. So mm-hmm. in her inventory to the court, um, she valued the house at $250,000, and then she valued the bank, you know, a couple bank accounts at like $32,000. But no Mm -hmm. belongings, nowhere in the inventory did it say anything about a car or any expensive jewelry or a television or a computer or like anything that she might have had. None of that was in the inventory. Mm. So why is she going back and forth to, to this property so much? And then Ooh. also on her bills was something weird. On August 29th, she billed Rafa $140 to pick up a vacuum. What, what on earth? What You could buy a vacuum for that much, couldn't you? I mean, I don't know if you've bought one in a while, but it seems like this is 2011 money too, remember. And then on November 16th, 2011, McDevitt, Bills Rafa's estate $90, and this is what it says exactly in her bill, storage unit to review tax returns. What does that mean? Did she put oh, a bunch of her stuff in a storage unit? And and what does that have to do with reviewing tax returns? It's very bizarre. But now let's like go we to Zillow.com. Let the IRS know. That what? Let's go to Zillow.com and look at the house. So she oh. valued it in her inventory at $250,000. Now, I'm looking at this okay. property on Zillow.com. It is a beautiful property. It's a beautiful white house. It has a lot of land around it. And it says that in November 3rd of 2011, so remember she was guardianized, guardianized in May. In November, oh, yeah, oh, wait, I'm sorry, I have to click more. Okay, in September... Hmm of 2011 it was listed for sale at 330,000 so apparently her 250 was already kind of undercutting it if they listed it at 330 mm-hmm. then they cut yeah. the price in October of 2011 to 313,000 they cut it again on October 13, 2011 to around 300,000 and then they continued to cut the price until it got all the way down to a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, and it sold. Oh my gosh! On on March of twenty March twentieth of twenty twelve, it sold for a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Guess oh my what gosh. happened two months later? Oh my gosh! They sold it for more money. It was listed for sale, so it sold for one hundred and seventy-five. It was listed mm-hmm. for sale for three hundred and fifty-five thousand dollars. Wow! Three hundred fifty-five. Yeah, and that's but all then there's Zillow. a price change. It's it's even yeah. better for them. There was a price change on June oh. 1st of 2012, and it went up to $370,000. They increased the price. Oh and then it gosh. sold in June, just three months later, after it was sold for 175 three months later it was sold again for 365 
So almost a $200,000 profit right there in three months being sold. And, and they can't hide and from that evidence. It's right there at Zillow.com. There. They can't. And then yeah. are you ready for how much the house, the Zillow, the Zestimate is for this house today in today's money? Yeah. Are you ready? Um, oh, my gosh. $623,000 and I'm sorry, $623,700 is what the price is for this house on Zillow.com, the Zestimate. That seems awfully shady to me. Something shady seems to have mm-hmm. been going on. Yes. Well, you know, in Florida, there is a big article that just came out, and there is a realtor who got caught working with Rebecca Furley, the felon guardian who pleaded guilty. And they were underselling all these homes. It was always the same realtor. So that's all getting outed. So we can we can only assume this is something to be digging into. Is it always the same realty company? And I'm guessing that they, mm, I bet they forgot to list it on the MLS so that other realtors wouldn't know about it. And also the other thing, I know they did this to Austin Gibson, is they won't pay because now the guardian is supposed to pay taxes and everything so that they can get it to the point of a sheriff's sale. So then everything, that's what happened with, with the house of, of um, her house and her mom's house. Which, side note on that one, that was a 50-50 ownership house. Austin Gibson and her mother both owned that house together. And when they guardianized her mother, they put the whole house into the mother's name and stole stole all that money, plus all the joint bank accounts that were in Austin and her mother's name. They basically seized all those bank accounts, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. When it's a joint account, the guardian was only entitled to half, but they took it all. And that is something that did happen in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, with Austin Gibson. And, yeah, and they ended up taking her house on the sheriff's sale by not paying taxes. So it's definitely something to look into, these shady real estate deals. Very, Uh, very, very good. Yes, go ahead, Reverend Ralph. Uh, I happen to uh, know of another area uh, pertaining to houses being uh, used and manipulated. Uh, what's interesting is that, uh, again, we're familiar with selling a house cheap and then reselling, you know, selling it cheap to a friend and reselling it at full value and so forth, and that's usually the obvious thing. But something else, something uh, most people have, don't think about is that the guardian can take out a loan on that house. And that when, you know, nobody under, you know, nobody seems to think about that, that when the person dies, the family may be thinking, oh, we're going to have the house and we're going to get, it's going to be worth $200,000, $300,000, when in fact that there's a loan and, uh, against the house. So when the person dies and if the guardian doesn't repay that loan, that house is going to have a lien on it. So basically the family will get nothing for that house. In addition, oh, something else uh, people don't think about is uh, the guardian taking out credit cards or debit cards and using them to buy things for themselves, and that's never put on the invoices as far as what you know the billing hours by the guardian or by the lawyer for the guardian. They could have debit cards or credit cards that are non-traceable. Credit cards are, but if it's taken out, then the guardian will be paying off those debit cards from the victim's money in the uh, bank account. So it's a way to cover up the fact that the guardian is stealing even more money and the family never Mm -hmm. knows about it. 
Also, something yeah, else I, that when it happened to uh, my uh, loved person, that Dwayne Logie that day when the loved person was dragged away from her house or his house, the fact that Dwayne Logie had the person's car towed away. And it was later put in the inventory as its worth was only $1,500. Well, this was only two years ago, and that car was worth about $6,000. And mm. with something, uh, something people, the family should keep in mind is if the person uh, before that car was taken, uh, their co- the victim's car, get the VIN number, get the insurance policy or whatever that has the VIN number of the car. So if that car is ever taken, which it probably would be, and sold, the guardian doesn't have to tell the family where it went. But you hire a private investigator, which I have said many times, spend a couple hundred dollars to find out where the guardian lives and where the lawyer lives for the guardian and so forth. That way you have some uh, leverage of letting the neighbors know what kind of shady person this person is. But with the VIN number, a private investigator can find out who is the latest owner of that car, and they can find Mm. out, was the car simply given to them as a friend? Was it a friend of that person? Was it a child, a teenage driver of the guardian? These are the things that can tell you whether or not that guardian has tried to cheat the person out of uh, the rightful money that is due to them. Thanks. Yeah, that is a great, that's great. I mean, it just shows more of the racketeering and also the money laundering that is going on. Um, Dr. Mary Witten, is there anything more on the house or should I keep reading the article? Well, I, I guess I could go on and, and mention this about, so there's in the, there's an email that um, is from uh, Rafa's daughter to the, okay. to the, um, you know, to object to McDevitt's bill. And oh. in there it says, um, I cannot prove the amount of time Aaron and the realtor Edmund Chi spent at my mom's house, so I guess my mom is stuck on this one. But I will say this. Actually, oh, I'm sorry, I started on the wrong paragraph. <laughs> oh. Okay, let me start right. over. I object to uh, $1,189.66, double billed. Visit banks, then go back and open account. This is only the first day of the whole six months she worked on this case, which I would like to say my mother is not a case. She is a human being and got treated like less than a dog. Claude's lawyer wow. should be charged $30, not my mother. He is the one wanting to talk. Um Telephone call from Nora, telephone call from Linda, charge Nora $10, Nora wanted to talk, charge her, not my mom. Aaron was looking for antiques while the REMAX agent, Edmund Chi, took pictures. Travel to the property with the realtor, I let, I let her in the house. It did not take two and a half hours. So I find it interesting that she said Aaron was looking for antiques. Oh, now, and then they weren't antiques, listed on the... No, they were not listed on the inventory. Oh. Mm-hmm. The plot thickens. Right. Yeah. This so. is so good. We hope we hope that the lawyers for um for the Rafa estate at, are listening to this because you know we might be giving them some more juicy stuff to go with. Okay, and uh, okay, we're gonna keep reading because we're about to name the lawyers. Okay, ready? The next okay. paragraph of the most amazing article. The two lawyers named in the suit 
brought by Rafa's estate after her death in early 2012, this is over 10 years ago, have denied wrongdoing. I'm shocked they denied wrongdoing. And the tangled sequence of events alleged in the court claim has not been substantiated. But the case spotlights Pennsylvania's vaccine system for safeguarding vulnerable older adults from potential fraud and other conflicts when they are declared legally incapacitated. As well, oh man, the computer is messing up. Okay. Um, as well as the gaps that still exist in the elder protection laws. The shortcomings persist despite vigorous efforts over the past decades by judges, lawyers, lawmakers, and advocates to develop new protocols for dealing with those cases. We can talk about that later. They were spurred to action in no small part by sobering projections that Pennsylvania, already home to one of the highest number of older residents in the nation, will experience a sharp increase in that population over the next three decades and face a swell of guardianship and other older adult protection cases. I'm going to put a little side note. Okay, let's see who knows the answer. When, when murderer felon guardian April Parks, who is now in jail and has been accused of the felons, and all the dead bodies were found in the re, whatever the remains in a storage locker. This is all documented. Google April Parks. She fled the state of Nevada where she was being accused of her crimes. Who knows what state did she flee to that could she could continue prospering as a professional guardian? Who knows the answer? What state does she flee Let to? Let me guess. Pennsylvania. And you get a bonus point if you can tell us the county. Uh, Montgomery County. No, it was Chester County. She fled to Chester oh. County. Well, that, but it's door. one county over. It's one county yeah. over. So um, the home, the American Guardianship Association, I've heard the headquarters are right there in uh, Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania, we're like, we're looking at a lot of older adults. You know, I've already heard about a third of the population is elderly, and now it's growing. This is, um, what did they say in that movie, I Care A Lot? They are ripe for the picking, the cherries. I mean, oh, my goodness, the malfeasance that can be happening here. Let us finish reading the article now that we see what's going on in Pennsylvania. In the state capitol, a bipartisan group of lawmakers has introduced legislation aimed at making guardianship a choice of last resort. The bill would be mandate that older adults have legal representation at guardianship proceedings and require guardians to undergo mandatory training, certification, and background checks among other changes. Now, part of this legislation is what NASCA is supporting, and that's the supportive decision-making. But they are going to say that a guardian shouldn't be um, named until last resort. We, we are leery that the, you know, the corrupt judges are going to, oh, we're at the last resort. But what is good about this is that we're going to have a paper trail that they didn't try and do what these laws are saying that they're supposed to do. So supportive decision-making and NASGA, we support everything, but we also would like to see that there would be punishments if you don't, if you don't uh, do this kind of stuff. Um, the background checks would probably catch when Montgomery County, uh, get, what was that felon's name? Gloria Byers. Gloria Byers. Yeah, 
they appoint a felon to be guardian and that got outed several years ago. So, I mean, yeah, a simple background check would have been uh, nice because then you wouldn't be Montgomery County judges wouldn't be apporting, um, appointing felons to look over our most like, like precious people in our communities that can't care for themselves. Okay. So what, what do you so, think of the part of this where they say that uh, the, inca- the alleged incapacitated person has to have an attorney? Like sometimes I think you would want to represent yourself because sometimes the attorneys are not representing you. They're representing the best interest of the courts and their own pockets. You should be able to I fire think- that person. Yeah, I think we could go into the Harvey situation. When Harvey wanted Eric Cox as his attorney and Judge Ott made the decision that Harvey was, in fact, not allowed to have his own attorney, Eric Cox, and forced Diane Zabowski on him. I think that is going to be a case where that would have protected Harvey from having to have that monstrous woman be his court-appointed attorney. Go ahead, Reverend Ralph. Uh, just what you were just saying about the uh, ju- uh, the lawyers and so forth. The problem with this guardianship corruption is the fact that it's that group, uh, that racket, that group of people working together, and it includes the judge. So in oh, my yeah. loved person's case, you have a corrupt judge who assigns a corrupt lawyer that she knew was going to do what she wanted, and he knew what mm-hmm. he was going to be doing because he's done it before. Right. And then yeah. the judge, the same judge, Weilheimer, assigns a corrupt psychologist, George Ladakis, to do the so-called evaluation, who had been in that court before, according to the transcript, uh, the court transcript. So what you have here, again, you have all these corrupt people that are just, you know, whether or not they have background checks or not, it really doesn't matter. It's the fact that they are working together to do these uh, illegal actions. And what's interesting is the fact that uh, the uh, corrupt lawyer for my loved person, uh, David Jaskowiak from Jenkintown, or, uh, yeah, Glenside, was the fact that he never brought anybody in that dealt with my loved person to prove that this person did not need a guardian. So, in other words... Judge Weilheimer assigns Jaskowiak to be the person's lawyer from day one, but mm-hmm. Jaskowiak never did anything to defend his client or to prove that the client did not need any type of guardianship because there were no medical problems, there were no financial problems, the house had no mortgage on it for 20 years, and all the bills were automatically paid. And the person was still driving the car two days before the petition was filed. So, and not only, and not even the person's doctor of 21 years said the person should stop driving. So, where was the need to have a guardian? And the answer is there was none. But the person has a lot of money, has a valuable house, so therefore it was just waiting for the vultures to swoop in. Now, getting yeah, back to predators. the house. What I recommend to people is uh, to take pictures of every room from a distance uh, to include a room, but also take close-up pictures of every chair, every piece of furniture, every painting, every rug, everything. And I have taken almost 2,000 pictures of various parts of the house inside and out. 
So if a uh, sticky little fingers uh, guardian decides to take a painting off the wall or something like that, they will, they will have to document where or what happened to that particular piece of painting or furniture or antique rug or whatever. So it forces the guardians to do more proof that they simply didn't take it for the benefit of themselves. And this is important. You mentioned about changing the locks. Yes, uh, on, in my loved person's case, Dwayne Logie, that was just assigned as guardian of person and estate, he came over to the house one day and he changed the locks. And he denied it. I asked him in an email, did you change the locks? Because eight spare keys did not work anymore. And he said, oh, he, he replied in his email, no, I didn't change any locks. Oh, so all eight keys suddenly stopped working? Again, these yeah. guardians can be very stupid, but you need to be a little bit of a detective to protect yourself, like with the card, getting a copy of the VIN number so you can trace mm-hmm. it later on, because they might have resold the car even to a stranger for uh, almost value of the car, but they listed it only for, say, $1,500 in the inventory. So that shows fraud. So these are the little things that I have learned uh, the hard way that you need to protect yourself by having evidence and proof of what exists and what was done so people like these corrupt guardians just don't steal and just get away with it. But it's very important, again, when you have a group of people like a corrupt judge assigning the corrupt lawyer who assigns the corrupt guardian and so forth, it just it's just one gang all working together and I don't think background checks would ever do anything about that because they know how to get away with things. And the district attorneys usually are just, you know, just complacent to not do anything because they don't think it's that important. You know, they'll call it a civil matter when it's really criminal. It's a fraud. Yeah. So I think those little things are important also for people to keep in mind. Absolutely. But, you know, as you pointed out, they these are the things that do happen to get money to the guardians. Yeah. All right. I'm going to get back to reading it. I feel like we have 45 minutes left. I got to get going here because we have so much to cover. Oh, my goodness. I should have made it a three-hour show. All right. Appointing a guardian for a person represents a serious step. State Senator Judy Ward, Republican Blair, must be Blair County, said at a hearing on guardianship in the Capitol last month, noting that it results in total deprivation of liberty and autonomy. She added, granting a petition of guardianship should be taken with great caution and utmost respect for the person's basic rights, which we know doesn't happen in Montgomery County. Okay, let's keep going. Shocks the conscious. At its core, the state's guardianship law and the complex system set up to enforce it are meant to protect adults who, due to illness, disability, or other unforeseen Unforeseen causes can no longer manage their personal affairs, said Marielle Hazen, whose Harrisburg-based law firm specializes in elder law. But the law, she said, is not perfect. Guardians are people appointed by a court to take over decision-making about the health and financial affairs, often both, of an adult who has lost the ability to make sound decisions about their life. They can be friends, relatives, or acquaintances of the incapacitated person, or they can be professionals who do such work for a fee. In Pennsylvania, guardianships aren't required, guardians aren't required to be certified or trained before taking the role. The state has over 18,000 active guardianships, nearly half of which involve people over the age of 60. According to data compiled by the state Supreme Court's Advisory Council on Elder Justice in the Court, 
Those guardians oversee more than $1.7 billion in assets. That's what's probably being um, on their inventory. You know it's even more. Though laws vary from state to state, in most cases almost anyone can petition a court to declare a person incapacitated and have them placed under guardianship. In Pennsylvania, orphans court judges decide those cases after a hearing that includes medical and other professional testimony, which Reverend Ralph has basically shown where that scam goes. In Rafa's case, the nursing home in which she lived the last year of her life launched the proceeding to have her declared incapacitated. According to the 2014 lawsuit brought by her daughter, Edith Horan, on behalf of her mother's estate, the lawsuit alleges that the very people, okay, my computer, yeah, I'm going to get, like, they don't want me reading it. I'm going to get hacked or something. All right. The lawsuit alleges that the very people in the system designed to help people like Rafa intentionally failed her and then exploited her financially. In the suit, lawyers for Rafa Estates called it a conspiracy that shocks the conscious, makes a mockery of this Commonwealth guardianship statutes, and callously exploits and abuses, abuses some of the most vulnerable members of society, all in a relentless rapid pursuit of money. Haran and several of Rafa's other family members did not respond to the interview request. Okay, I'm, blah, 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 I'm going to kind of go ahead. Um, Rafa was admitted to Manor Care Nursing Home in King of Prussia two days before Christmas 2010. According to the suit, a few months later, the nursing home and its then outside lawyer, and here are the names of the lawyer. Brian Dietrich of Montgomery County met with another Montgomery County lawyer, Robert Feliciani, to discuss having Rafa declared incapacitated. The lawsuit does not describe how the two lawyers knew each other. A spotlight PA review of court dockets in suburban Philadelphia. Oh, my goodness. my um, um, Okay, my computer just glitched on me. Uh, 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 where am I going? Okay. Um, Okay, they did not have, oh, I'm so sorry. My computer's jumping around. I got to read so I can get off of this page. Um, that they have many dozens of the same incapacity cases around the time representing opposing clients, which we're going to discuss these. Um, I'm going to go real strict to this. They did not, they did not put, um, the guardian Aaron McDevitt is not in the lawsuit. And, um, at Rafa's incapacitation hearing, the lawsuit alleges Dietrich convinced the court to appoint his hand-picked guardian to manage Rafa's affair, which we know is Aaron McDevitt. Around the same time, he launched a debt collection action against Rafa for unpaid nursing home bills, but allegedly did not disclose that to the judge at Rafa's incapacitation hearing. That was probably disclosed at lunchtime when they're doing their ex parte hearings. Dietrich then allegedly recommended that Rafa's new guardian, who is not a defendant in the lawsuit, hire Feliciani to represent Rafa in the debt collection action. The close ties between the people who are supposed to look after her and those seeking money from her raised a conflict lawyers for Rafa's estate contend, one that again was not disclosed to the judge overseeing Rafa's incapacitation hearing. Feliciani failed to respond to the debt collection action and also kept key details about it from Rafa's family and her guardian, the lawsuit alleges. The result, Rafa was hit with a 81651 default judgment to pay it off. She had to sell her home, 
which we heard about how that scam went down. Gary Sams, Dietrich's lawyer, said in an interview that his client has done nothing unethical or illegal. And you know what? The rest um, is just kind of like more stuff about them. But what we're going to now do is Dr. Mary Witten is going to talk about do Dietrich and Feliciani work together in numerous guardianship proceedings? Mary, what's the answer? And what do you got? So I went to the um, shenanigans page, and I just did a search of the of Dietrich just to see, you know, what type of stuff might pop up about Dietrich's on, on that page. And it appears that um, him and McDevitt are very, very buddy, buddy, and he seems to um, request that she be the guardian on numerous occasions. So, for example, there's a post from... Um, from June 22nd, 2015, and it says, although in yesterday's post Aaron McDevitt said that Brian Scott Dietrich's client is Manor Care, Olga, so that's not that's not Rafa. This is a different person. This is, is another actually victim. Paying another victim. Olga is actually paying his bill instead of his quote unquote client Manor Care. And then it shows the document where he's getting, he's billing the um, state of the person who he said, you know, he put in the paperwork to have her deemed incapacitated and to recommend Erin McDevitt as the guardian. She had to pay him uh, $4,213. And then in another post from July 31st, 2016, it says, yesterday's post showed that in recent years the number of elderly who live at Town Manor East which interestingly in the Rafa case, under the final accounting, they claim that she died at Town Manor East. So I don't know if that's a mistake that they put in there because they're just used to having so many clients at Town Manor East that they just put that in there. Mm-hmm. Or if, or if there's some, I don't know what, if how, somehow it's affiliated to Manor Care. I don't know what's going on with that. But there's something, there's definitely that in the in the records. But in the shenanigans post, it shows a little a table, and it has the year in one column, and it has the number of petitions to guardianize Town Manor, resi- Town Manor East residents. So in the year 2000, uh, there was only one instance. In 2001, there was one instance. In 2006, there was one instance. In 2008, there was one instance. 2009 was two instances. 2010, one instance. All of a sudden, in 2011, 12 instances of this. And oh. then again in 2014, another 12 instances of this, and there's like three, five, three and five between there in 2012 and 2013. And then in 2015, eight instances. And 12, according to this post, it says 10% of the residents were guardianized in one year. So it must have had 120 people must be at this residence. And they guardianized ten percent of them in one year. And, now I have um, a question: Would would a nursing home know what when you? And I I know the answer, but I'm going to see if you guys know when you like sign up to go live in a nursing home, and they have you know the the paperwork secretary. There's a form, and don't you have to basically tell what your assets are that you're going to be able to pay these bills? Don't they? know 
which residents have a lot of money and which residents don't. Is that correct? I believe I believe that is true. Yes. So mm-hmm. they would know which ones would be more of a prime target for them to guardianize. Yeah. If if they were going to be doing this for money. Wow, right. this is interesting. It looks like they seem to work together. Wasn't oh, one of them hats. an employee? Oh, my gosh. No, wait, I have a quick question. Wasn't one of them an actual employee of Montgomery County, like uh, that Robert Slutsky was? Uh, Feliciani, I believe, also um, had a contract with the Aging and Adult Services of Montgomery County. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have employees of Montgomery County doing this. Mary, this is uh, Reverend Ralph. Um, What you just said, uh, you said they had a contract with Montgomery County. What was that contract about? Um, well, I know I, – I don't remember exactly what – I'd have to try to find it again, but I know um, there's a shenanigans video out there on YouTube, and it shows how uh, Robert Slutsky, on behalf of Aging and Adult Services, would petition to have Montgomery County citizens deemed incapacitated, and he would recommend that Douchey be the the guardian – and you know, I mean, other guardians too, but Douchey on more than one occasion, and then Douchey would turn around and hire uh, Robert Slutsky to be the attorney for her. Like, how is that not a conflict of interest? He's like right. going out and recommending her as a court document, yeah. proving that. And then, Mary. and then yeah, he ahead. bills the, the estate of the person. So he's acting on behalf of the aging and adult services, but ends up in the end billing the estate of the person that he requested be deemed incapacitated. How is that not a conflict of interest? Because uh, this is Reverend Ralph. Uh, it's yeah. interesting you brought up Slutsky and Doshi, or Doshi, Dush, uh, because I was in court about six months ago as a friend of the family of somebody who was trying to get their mother away mm-hmm. from Dushi, uh, both as both the guardian of person and estate, and uh, when Doshi was on the stand, uh, Lois Murphy, Judge Lois Murphy, asked her, how many clients do you have? And Doshi said 71. And mm. I, I wow. saw somebody with her. I saw a man with her uh, who looked like a lawyer, and it's only because of a picture that I saw later it was Slutsky. So that all ties yeah. in. It, it's fascinating, not fat, disgusting, to see how close this little web of people are working, mm-hmm. and it's always the yeah. same people who hire each other and hire themselves and hire a lawyer. And this is what I had mentioned, whether it's this time or two weeks ago, the fact that when a, a, before a guardian is appointed by the judge, the family should get a contract, just in plain English, with the guardian-to-be that says, if we approve you, you will not hire anybody else and charge us or the victim for those services. In other words, the little game, the trick that these guardians pull is when they're appointed, they suddenly hire a lawyer, and then they hire maybe other lawyers or they hire a care manager. And in the case of my loved person, uh, Dwayne Logie hired Diane Sabowski as, as his lawyer the day afterwards he was appointed, and then Dwayne Logie hires Deb Clock as his care manager for my loved person. It, it doesn't. It, it defies common sense. If you're hiring a guardian, that's their job to do the yeah. guard, to be a guardian. 
and the definition of a security guard is to protect lives and property. So it's the same way with a guardian. His job is to protect the life and welfare of that person. But if he's hiring all these other people, he basically, there's basically no contract that says he can. It's what he can get away with. And in the case the care, of... Yeah. And in the case the of... Care, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I think the, I just wanted to, before I forgot, the care manager is a new layer of the scam. Because right. when we were going through it, there wasn't a care manager. So now that looks like they're, ad, they're bringing another person into the scam. When we went to court, um, this, anyone, you know, myself and Mary, what we witnessed was uh, no, there was no family member that was in opposition. Every single family member had wanted Harvey to leave Pennsylvania and come to Wisconsin. The petition to remove me as the guardian of Harvey, it was filed by Univest, Univest Bank. And um, I just want everyone to know that a bank actually filed this action against the whole family when no family was in cahoots with any of this. But what was interesting is that when we did fight it, there was more attorneys in a guardianship hearing than the O.J. Simpson trial. Okay, back to you, Reverend Ralph. I wanted to get that out because that yeah, was insane. Well, also – Cause also tell the audience who was the lawyer for Univest. David Jaskowiak, who you get yes. to deal with. Yeah. Yes. And also Amazing. also a woman named Yeah, Julianne Von Doon King. They had two they had two attorneys in their billing the estate. And and uh, Harvey did have to pay all of them for for how much was it, Mary, for that trial? Do you remember how much money he had to pay for oh, everybody? Except our lawyers. Oh, we can't pay our lawyers. Yeah. But all right, their lawyers. I mean, they Probably it was more like thirty thousand, I'm guessing. It was I don't thought know. it was over thirty, and that whatever, was only yeah. their lawyers. It, like half of the lawyers were our lawyers that we had to pay. So well, yeah, it pay. was um quite 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 the star chamber going on there in uh in well, Montgomery in case, County. In the case of my loved person, this uh, the guardian who hired uh, her name is Pam Blummer. Uh, her husband is a lawyer who turned out to be a good friend of David Jeskowiak, who recommended mm, her yeah. to my ex-lawyer and myself. And it turns out like we didn't know that beforehand. So after uh, Pam Blummer was hired and replaced the Dwayne Logie, I mean, it, it's it's like a puzzle. People trying to you know remember everything. Yeah. But after uh, Dwayne Logie was, he stepped aside. Well, it was more like I put so much pressure on him that he didn't want to be, mm -hmm. deal with it anymore. So this Pam Blummer was appointed by Judge Weilheimer. So immediately after she was hired, she hired her husband as her lawyer, which is definitely a conflict of interest. And then mm -hmm. uh, Bill Blummer, her, her husband, is works for a very large law firm in Reading, Barley Snyder, and he then hired several other lawyers in his law firm to be his associate lawyers in this matter of my loved yeah. person. So just for, so every time one person talks to another, you got to have all these lawyers being told the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just racking up more and more billing hours. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, nobody seems can can pick uh, pin down is what are the rights of the victim, and it. Nobody can say for certain that this is in writing what those rights are. So in other words, if, if, if it's just up in the air, can the guardian beat that victim if they feel like it? If it's a woman, can, that, uh, can the guardian rape that woman? 
and because yes. it's just property, well, then mm-hmm. it's really not a yeah. crime. Uh, can this uh, guardian force the uh, victim to do slave labor uh, for money for him or something? It's like, what does this person have? Is it a human being or is it just property, like a toaster? And when you think well, about it, you, they, a dog has more rights than apparently mm-hmm. that the victims in guardianship does. Well, I actually had that question answered when this new task force came out in Pennsylvania and there was some extra money that they were supposed to, you know, help elders. So I called the task force because many people in Pennsylvania, I don't live in Pennsylvania, so I'm a little safer. People are afraid that live in Pennsylvania. They actually are fearful for their life. And so I'm like, okay, I'll make the phone call and ask on behalf of everybody. And I said, if someone under guardianship called this Adult Protective Service hotline and told them that they were in, that they were in a bad situation, could you step in and do anything? And the answer is no, because the answer is it's a court, it's a court issue. And when we used to call 911 or we, anything when we were going through it, when we would call all these different law enforcement, that's what we would hear, oh, it's a court issue, it's a court issue. So the answer is yes, if the guardian wants to beat the ward, if the guardian wants to rape the ward, whatever the guardian wants to do, if the judge says it's okay, then it's okay. And you cannot, you will not be helped in any agency at all. I would like someone to step forward and tell me the agency that would step in and help because I haven't found it. I haven't found it in the state of Pennsylvania. So the answer is they can do whatever they want. If they want to chemically restrain someone on five milligrams of Halidol, I have the court records to show you that they can just do that. If they don't want to give you your uh, hearing aids, your teeth or your eyeglasses because according to Deb Clock and Diane Zabowski, there are more important things in life than those items. There's nowhere to turn to in the state of Pennsylvania. As long as the judge, like Judge Ott, says that these things are okay, it's okay. So the answer is they can do whatever whatever they want and there's no repercussion. And there we there we have it. But let's get back to this oh, no, I'm not healing that's going on. Yeah, I know. Tell us more. Oh, okay. Tell more of these things. So we've got a, twenty minutes. <laughs> okay. So on on the topic of attorneys, Aaron McDevitt actually is an attorney. So some of these guardians are attorneys. Some of them are not. But Aaron McDevitt is actually an attorney. But even though she is an attorney, she still had to hire an attorney to represent her, even though she mm, is an attorney. Her friend. She's yeah, the yeah. Luciani. So here's the shenanigans in the Montgomery County Post from June 15th, uh, 2015, and I think these um, names are going to sound very familiar to you. It says Suburban Woods Health and Rehab Center petitions the court via attorney Brian Scott Dietrich to have Aaron McDevitt be the fee-based court-appointed guardian of Teresa instead of Teresa's free-based daughter, Karen. McDevitt hires attorney Robert Feliciani on behalf of Teresa. McDevitt and Mm. Feliciani were paid from Teresa's limited assets. How concerned was guardian McDevitt when her ward was dying based on her annual report, not concerned enough to visit? Oh, that was the, so that's the point of the, uh, the court record Mm. that she shows that she never visited, um, this, this person that she was billing. Then let's see, um, we have a, uh, a shenanigans alert 
on June 18, 2015. It says, Town Manor East Nursing Facility petitioned the court for a guardian of the resident Lewis via attorney Brian Scott Dietrich. Dietrich's petition stated he believed Lewis had no next of kin. And uh, he's, he's, it's not the first time that he's done this. Lewis's mother died in 2011, and Lewis may be a beneficiary of his mother's estate. Dietrich petitioned oh. the court in the same year as his mother's death, 2011, although Lewis had lived at the nursing facility since 2008. Dietrich recommended Lois Nafziger as the guardian. The objection to the petition filed by Lewis's next of kin stated that he does have next of kin, had a last will and testament, and objected to Nafziger being appointed guardian. But imagine this. Judge Stanley Ott ruled in favor of Town Manor East and subsequently oh. ordered that Nafziger pay Dietrich from Lewis's estate. So Shocking. that's um, yeah. Tell us some so more. Town- okay, give us some more examples because we got to decide: is are, are these two attorneys going to be found guilty? Because I don't know if I even got to mention it. They are going to be going on trial in a civil lawsuit. For, and they will be. They will be. They have been accused of racketeering. So let's hear more. Could they possibly be racketeering? So um, now it's. Uh, this is on from May 30, 2016. It says the next story concerning alleged shenanigans in the Montgomery County Courthouse involves Annie. Annie was residing in the Rittenhouse Pine Center Nursing Home facility. So this is the. What is this? The third or fourth facility. So he, okay. he just, like, all these facilities are contacting him because you have the manor care, mm-hmm. you have the town manor, um, town manor care, and mm-hmm. then you have the Suburban Woods Health and Rehab Center, and now we have the, um, the Ritten, Rittenhouse Pine Center. So he's oh. making the rounds to a bunch of different nursing homes. It's not just manor care. Um, but in this case... Um, uh, oh, so then when so remember so remember that name is Annie and remember it's at the Rittenhouse Pine Center and then okay. when and remember when we were when there was the um, email or letter from the daughter of Rafa yeah to to the courts so let me le- yeah. read another little excerpt from from that email that she had sent it says. Um, I'm sorry, i got to find it again. She says, Robert L. Feliciani, in his certificate of service, so states that he is the attorney for the petitioner, the guardian, the estate of Annie L. Morgan, and we are this person's children, receiving the following by U.S. Mail postage prepaid December 29, 2012, a true and correct copy of the guardian's petition for allowance and notice. I do not know this woman, and she is not my mother. And she is at Rittenhouse Nursing Home. So wow. this very person that Shenanigans had said something about is like ends up in an email in this other case because you know they can't keep track of who who who's who. They keep apparently. track of their victims. No, oh there's too many of them. Too much. Do you think they ha- they had to bill somebody to fix the the error? Oh yes, God. they probably did have to bill to fix the error. And um, do you want to take a guess uh, who is who um, Dietrich requested to be the guardian for Annie? 
Um, Eric Mace, Aaron McDevitt. Yeah. Ding 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 ding. Oh ding, my gosh. Yeah. It's like it's, it's like my... they have certain attorneys that always go with the same guardian, like the yes. little rackets. They like yes. the little the little three threesomes that and start then, out. And then also in this case, so remember in the previous case with Lewis, how he was claiming, oh, there's no next of kin, and then the next of kin mm-hmm. appears. So yeah. in Annie's case, uh, he says there's a son or something like that. I'd have to go back to it to see specifically what it was. And then they mail it, the the notice that they want to guardianize her, they mail it to the son who's lived in this house for 30 years. They mail it to the wrong address. So the son never gets the letter in the mail. And realistically, when you see how big her family was, there should have been eight letters going out to the next of kin. Right. And then he's claiming that... Um, that you know he didn't know that there was there was so many, but when you look at his bills, in his bills, it shows that he did know and he intentionally didn't include it. Let me try to find oh. that. Uh, yeah, that sounds that, that sounds pretty shyster. Uh huh. Because it says, um, let's see. How uh, many years? How many years back do you feel? Um, Mr. Shenanigans has documents. Like how many years? How many years ago have these two been working together with Aaron McDevitt? Well, they're certainly working together quite a bit back in this time frame for the Rafi or Rafa. Twenty ten. Um, yeah, in that time so, range, yeah. it seems like there is so quite a bit. Thirteen years at least, and it probably goes back more. Mhm. Yep. Wow. I agree. This, this is Reverend Ralph. Uh, it's interesting you were talking about the nursing homes. It seems that these guardians always pick the same nursing home. And as I have found, it's because, in my opinion, from information I've uh, put together, uh, they get kickbacks from these nursing homes. That's why they put yes. them there. And so that's another little way that they can make money. It's like a, portfo- mm-hmm. it's like a portfolio of these people, stocks, bonds, yeah. nursing homes, guardians, hiring lawyers, and so forth. Yeah. And it, it's, again, it's, it's something where, uh, in my situation, where I wanted my loved person put in another section of the nursing home uh, in Pottstown, Manitoni Manor, which has a very low rating, uh, but the director refused to do it. And I checked, I, I used a little disguise, and I found out the section the person was in was charging a lot more money than in another section where this person could be living. So every time a bed is empty or a section is not filled, especially the expensive sections, that nursing home is losing money, and it's owned by a company in Jersey. I forget the name of it. So it's like it's all about dollars and cents. And the fact that under law, uh, Pennsylvania law, uh, a nursing home has to spend so much per patient. But, again, how do you verify that? I mean, again, uh, anybody can write up reports saying they did certain things, which amounts to those yeah. hours, billing, you know. But, again, it's something where uh, when people are in these nursing homes, they have needs, and the nursing home is not fulfilling those needs. In other words, they're committing fraud by saying they are a nursing home or assisted living facility when, in fact, they're not. And the people in, for example, in a memory section area, they're the nursing home's idea of, Therapy is simply giving them a coloring book and some crayons. That's their idea of having people's memory, you know, maintained or whatever. 
that's their idea of therapy for people with a memory issue. So uh, again, it's it's really pathetic that uh, the scam is just so massive, and it's so yeah. it's not complicated. It's usually the same obvious things over and over: the same guardians, the same corrupt judges, the same corrupt yeah. lawyers. And as far as Ott's concerned, he works for a very he after he left as a judge. He works now for a very large law firm in King of Prussia. I believe it's called Banyan Breyer. Cause uh, do you know uh, that? Oh yeah. Oh, so Carl Carl Pryor Mannion. We got to deal with him personally. He is Deb Clark's personal attorney, and we do have the court records to prove that. And so I'm guessing that you know Judge Ott let let them come and play in his court, and they rewarded him with the job when he reti- when he was forced to retire. That's a whole nother show. Isn't it, Mary? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's hear some more examples. We've got we've got about fifteen minutes left. Um, there is a whole bunch of slides on on Annie and her case. Um, so, I, but I'm sure this is this is just what's at the shenanigan site, and there are so many court records that it should be pretty easy to just show how they're all in a racket together. Because you it's want not to like tell everyone how you get to the, every single one. Hmm? Right. Can you tell everybody how to get to the shenanigans site and how to maybe do a search to find this information themselves? Oh yeah, you can. Um, it's a Facebook page, the shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page, and I think if you just go to the timeline post, you can click search and just type in whatever attorney you think might be corrupt and see if there's any posts on there about them or any guardian type of guardian like you could type clock in there and see what pops up you could clock zabowski in there and see what pops up or juliana van Doon king see what pops up or uh you know douchey and and all of the um posts that have their name associated with it should pop up in search and it's always the same players i mean that's yeah we are not surprised we are not surprised by this hershey oh i mean the list hey we have a caller Oh. We have someone who wants to ask a question. All okay. right, we've got, you guys, we've got like a little over 10 minutes left, so let's see. Um, Here we go. We have area code 703. You're live and on the air. Uh, hello, area Cause, code. Mary. Rev. Hi, who's um, this? Hello. This is Marcel. Hey, Marcel. Hello, Marcel. how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I think the show is so interesting. I joined it late. Um, but I just wanted to reiterate something that um, Marty used to say, and um, it is that when you go to the hospital um, and if it seems like the hospital is about to turn you over to a nursing home, be very aware of people coming into your room um, introducing themselves as doctors because you can inadvertently sign away your rights and it is legal for an attorney to be called doctor. And you don't ask what type of doctor it is. And Marty said that was something that almost happened to her. And I remember uh, people here telling me the same thing. So I think it starts sometimes even in the hospitals, there's some kind of weird 
uh, collusion going on because most mm-hmm. of them have guardianship attorneys um, that are affiliated with them. And they just come in the room Absolutely. and say, you know, you see so many doctors, you just say that this is another doctor. And and you agree to whatever terms are mentioned to you. And, of course, everyone will deny it. But I think you can get caught up in the hospital, and it doesn't have to go out to the courts because it's the plan is already laid. Oh this goodness. is Reverend yeah. Ralph. Uh, I, yeah. totally yeah. agree, I totally agree with Marcel. Uh, and I had talked to another lawyer years ago, and when they get uh, – uh, when they pass the bar, uh, they get – a certificate or something like that, a doctorate of, of law, something like that, but it's a doctorate of something, which means technically they can refer to themselves as or give themselves the title of Dr. Smith or something like that. So that's quite true. Yeah. And, again, it's a, it's a method of deception. And, again, I would think somebody who's in a hospital uh, could get out of that uh, contract just because if they're in – if they have drugs in them for whatever reason, painkillers and all – they could say they didn't know what they were doing when they were when they signed the papers, but again, that's a little technicality. But again, no, it's true. Yeah. These lawyers can call themselves doctor because of the uh, of their certificate when they pass the bar. They get a juris doctorate. Yes, and that's do. why they call themselves yeah JD, and that's why they call themselves uh, doctor. And um, and they do it interchangeably. I mean. Uh, most of us know Zena Crenshaw, and she was referred to as Dr. Crenshaw. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it happens all the time. Um, I've never personally seen it, but I have uh, a very close relative who works for one of these huge healthcare corporations, and they say that they see it frequently. So Disgusting. that is all I can tell you, but it was something that Marty warned against. And there are mm-hmm. lots of schemes, people into guardianship, some unknowingly, unwittingly. So that was yeah. my only contribution. Good show, you guys. Well, Bye-bye. Thank you, Marcel, and thank you for being one of our biggest supporters here. Bye-bye. Oh, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right. That's so exciting. We had a caller. We have a yeah. full board. We have a lot of people listening. This is very exciting. All right, we have eight minutes left. There's um, Mary, one more give us another. I want to talk about. Okay. All right. 2016 on the Shenanigan site. It says yesterday's post showed that Ricole's grandmother was moved to Town Manor East. Ricole was not allowed to move Annie without Aaron McDevitt's approval. It turns out Annie has moved to the same for profit nursing facility that has teamed with McDevitt and attorney Brian Scott Dietrich before Explanation Point. The following Ooh. excerpts are from the Montgomery County site. How convenient for McDevitt to have Annie move to Town Manor East since McDevitt and Dietrich have teamed up before to guardianize their residence. And then it has a picture from the court dockets, and it has Gail, incapacitated person, Helen, incapacitated person, James, incapacitated person, Arthur, incapacitated person, Robert, incapacitated person, and then there's, um, there's like, no more room on the slide. And then it says, is there a criminal racket in your local courthouse? Now, let's see. If there's so, two comments under it. Let's see what the comments yeah. are. Yeah. So shenanigans oh. was on to this. I mean. Oh, you know what the comments from me. Just, <laughs> oh. 
Oh, well, that's so You're exciting. Going, was yeah. for me. <laughs> well, you know, that, that we, several years ago. We, back in the day when Mr. Shenanigans was keeping it updated, like, we were on that page every day every day and we all got to know each other because of social media and we're all still like really good friends and you know it's like we were like the like the old the old timers and the beginning of guardianship and there was the facebook page boomers against elder abuse and we all found each other and now how many people do we know like personally like 20 people that i keep in contact with and shenanigans shenanigans has about 200 200 uh, cases of of this kind of stuff going on in Montgomery County, and a lot of it hasn't even been staying updated. I think it was, you know, it had its heyday. Who knows what yeah. Mr. Shenanigans is doing now, but he still reaches out and supports this show and was a supporter of Marty. I know Marty, Marty seemed to correspond with Mr. Shenanigans more than we got to, so we're still very grateful for Mr. Shenanigans and all his support that he had with Marty. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like the two comments that. under there is the first one's from Shenanigans, and it says, read comments about the place McDevitt has housed some of her wards here. And I assume if you click on the link, it's going to be some horrible reviews for the nursing home. And then I wrote yeah. underneath, I put, when an elderly loved one needs care that can't be provided at home, there's a list of things to avoid in a facility such as if it smells like urine, if the staff isn't attentive, etc. Now it looks like mm-hmm. one more item needs to be added to the checklist. How frequently does the facility petition the courts to guardianize their residents and recommend a stranger who will who will pad their bills and drain your loved one's estate? So I guess Ooh, that's, that's a, a question good point. to add to the interview. How often Absolutely. do you guardianize your residents? That's an excellent question. If you're out looking for a place mm-hmm. to um, have someone retire in, that is an excellent question that needs to be asked. And it's very, it's a very sad situation that that is the question that needs to be asked. So this, um, these two attorneys are going to face a jury. It looks like it's a civil action. So let me tell you, a civil action means to be that there's preponderance of evidence. The civil action doesn't mean that they're going to go to jail or anything, but what could happen and why this this lawsuit is so huge for all of us who have been abused by Montgomery County is what once there's preponderance of an evidence, this needs to go to a U.S. attorney. And at that point, they need to file criminal charges because now you've already won this lawsuit now they need to file criminal charges, and this is going to have to be the state against them, and they need to file and take that to the next to the next level. And that, again, would be a jury trial, and that would be beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's going to be a little harder once you get into a criminal trial to prove the racketeering. But everything that is done at the civil le- level, you are able to get all those documents in, it's called... Um, why is that? Why am I blanking? Discovery. So anyone out there thinking about doing a law for a lawsuit in Montgomery County, you want to be paying attention to this because by law you can request the documents that are going to be coming out in this lawsuit for your own lawsuit through a process called discovery. And also everything that comes out in this lawsuit is allowed to be brought into a criminal trial. Now, this is what's really scary with racketeering. Racketeering in itself is a felony. 
And there's another there's another um, charge that is called felony murder. So if while you are committing a felony, someone dies, that's considered felony murder. So even though you didn't pull the trigger, if you are racketeering and you are party to this person not getting proper medical treatment, being isolated, all these things that are going to lead up to an early death for for that person, now you're looking at possible murder charges and felony murder. And in Pennsylvania, that is the death sentence. These are very, very serious allegations, racketeering and felony murder. We're not at that point yet. They haven't been charged with those. But if they are found guilty at the civil level, this could be their reality if a U.S. attorney would agree to pick this case up and pursue it on a criminal level, which we would hope so. The other thing is, if that would happen, everything's going to come crumbling down because they're all going to start turning on each other. So very excited. All right, we have 90 seconds left. I just want to go over our sponsors for tonight was Marcel Reed and Whistleblower's Life, Shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page, NASCA, the National Association of Stop Guardianship Abuse, and ASCA, the Australian NASCA, which we have Chris over here. They have just stepped up to be a huge sponsor of our shows. So we are sponsored by not just businesses or advocates in the United States. We are now sponsored by advocates in Australia which is a huge excitement. We will not have a show next Friday, but the following Friday we have booked a retired NYPD detective. Get your questions ready. It's going to be a great show, and we will see you all in two weeks. Thank you so much, Mary, for coming on, Reverend Ralph. This was a great, great show, and everyone can listen back to it on Spotify, iTunes, and the like. This was uh, We had a huge audience tonight. Thank you, everyone who tuned in. Good night. Good night. Good night.